Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing? All right. Well, we're glad that you're here, whether you are uh, a longtime follower of Jesus or maybe you're just kind of reconnecting with the church, maybe you're investigating faith. We created this place with you in mind, and so we're so thankful that you're here, and uh, just it's an honor for us, that, as Sharice said, that you would uh, spend some time with us on Sunday morning. We hope you feel safe and welcomed uh, as we dive in today to a brand new series. Uh, this past week, my daughter and I, uh, we're, we're from Florida, some of you guys know that. Uh, we moved from Florida about uh, just over a year ago. Uh, prior to starting City Walk Church. My wife grew up here in the Marysville, Yuba City area, but we've been in Florida most of our life. And so we had never experienced L.A. except for the airport. And I know that's not a good representation of L.A. And so my daughter and I, Julia, uh, we were down there this past week for about three or four days. Uh, she was taking part in a, uh, a conference called Student Leadership University, and uh, she was involved in that. And so we decided, hey, this is our chance to go be like the typical tourist and uh, go down there a day early and kind of do the touristy thing. And so that's exactly what we did. We went and, man, we saw all the sights. We were looking around all the corners hoping we'd see somebody that we see, see on TV uh, sometimes. And man, So we were like the typical tourists. We went to Santa Monica Pier. We went and walked down the Walk of Fame and, and took some pictures of some of our favorite stars. And, and we saw the observatory and some of the different stuff in, in town. But if you've been to L.A., and I know a lot of you have, probably a lot more than I have, you know that, man, in L.A., it's a place that has a lot of different types of people and a lot of different even environments. And so we would, we would be down and we would be looking at some of the houses and, man, looking at houses that were in our city would go for about two or 300000 There are going for over a million dollars. And then you'd drive down the road a little farther and, and you'd see houses that were literally some of the most expensive houses in the country. And you'd go down Rodeo Drive and you see stores that, man, I can't even, I don't even have enough money to like walk in the store, let alone buy anything in the store. And everything's so polished and clean and kind of everybody has their mask on and everybody's kind of looking there, kind of got their vibe going and that's what they're trying to do. But then you'd go a couple streets over and you literally have people just tense in the parking lots and people laying on the streets and, and just very dirty. And, and, and so you have all these different types of environments. You have all these different types of people. But yet one thing that, that they all had in common, and if you've been there, you, you see this so clearly, whether it's the person that, man, is on the side of the road and, and is half drunk or half high, and, man, they, they're homeless and they're dirty, and, and, man, it's just kind of, you can just tell from the outward appearance their life's really a mess. 
or whether it's the polished, pristine, driving the nicest car, everything looks sharp, whether it's that person, you know this about them, that on the inside, many of them have a deep need and hope for something that they're searching for. And whether it's the person that you, man, you literally had to step over because they were, they were laying on the street, or whether it's the person the man, that's driving the Bentley, and, and man, that looks like they have it all together. It's just a different type of polish, but every single one of them have uh, something inside of them that's trying to fill the void, and they're trying all these different things, and many of them are coming up hopeless. And so they continue to strive and they continue to try things and they continue to do new drugs or they continue to make new purchases and the hole in their heart doesn't ever get filled and it's a rat race trying to fill that void. But honestly, as you think about those people, not much different than us. Yeah, you, you might not be driving the Bentley or you might not be the, the kind of homeless person on the road in L.A., but probably if we're honest, every single one of us at times in our life, maybe right now, are trying so hard to fill something. We don't even know what the something is, but we're trying so hard to fill this void and it brings anxiety, it brings striving, it brings tiredness, it brings all types of things that are things that are not helpful and that hurts and and so I want you to think about something when you look in the mirror what do you see when when nobody's around and and when you're looking in the mirror and I don't mean physically I don't mean hey I'm having a good hair day or bad hair day or hey I've got some dinner still on my face I need to clean up before I go out no I, I don't mean physically but when you look in the mirror what do you see What do you see when you look past the physical to the spiritual, to the emotional, to the mental? What do you see? What do you like? What do you wish you could change? Is there something inside of you that maybe nobody knows about it, but it's this searching for purpose and you're, you're not sure how to find it, but you continue to look. You know all the places not to find it. Is your heart discouraged when you look in the mirror because maybe somebody close to you has walked away from faith and and you're so discouraged and nobody knows? Do you struggle with worry? Do you struggle with contentment? Do you struggle with selfishness? And maybe we mask it in a lot of different ways and we polish it up in a lot of different ways. But when you look in the mirror and nobody's around and you really see who you really are, Do you struggle with selfishness or pride? Is there something in your past that you're ashamed of and you can't seem to shake? What is broken that you try to polish up that maybe nobody knows about? Have you tried to move forward and have only hit roadblocks? Maybe you say, man, Chris, I I know what's wrong. I I know what I'd change. I know what I don't like. And I've tried to move forward and I just continually seem to come up against roadblocks. See, if the answer is yes to any of those questions, then over the next few weeks as we look at this series forward, if you're looking for five practical steps to a better life, you're going to be really disappointed. 
because what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're not going to look, because haven't you tried the five practical steps? Haven't you read the book? Haven't you checked the boxes and, and it's something still inside of you that there's still a hole, there's still a void, there's still a striving inside of you. And so, you know what? I'm all for self-help and I'm all for all those things, but man, is, is, that, is it a little bit overrated and is there something more? I believe there is. And so what we're going to do instead of looking at, at five practical steps to make your life better and my life better... We're going to look at a real man who faced real struggles and the letter he wrote from prison to a young church that he loved dearly and wanted to see change the world. And if you lean in over the next few weeks, I believe that this series will be a catalyst to your individual walk with Jesus. I believe this series could be a catalyst to your family and your relationships. And I believe that this series will be a catalyst for our young church, City Walk Church, that is barely five months old. And what we're going to do is we're going to, over the next kind of the rest of the summer, we're going to look at the book of Philippians. To give you a little bit of a context about the book of Philippians, the, the, the book of Philippians was actually a letter written by a man by the name of Paul to a church that he had helped start in the city of Philippi. And so what we're going to read, we're actually going to read a letter that was written several thousand years ago from a prison to a church in the city of Philippi. And, and if you've been to church or kind of grown up in church, you probably have heard of this guy, Paul, whether you are kind of somebody that goes to church a lot or you're just once in a while, you've probably heard of this guy, Paul. And Paul, when, when he, we first meet him, his name is not Paul, it's actually Saul. And when we first meet this guy, Saul, which is a few decades before he writes this letter, he's a lot different than when he writes this letter. In fact, when we first meet this guy, Saul, he was a guy that was a religious leader who had an impeccable record. Like you remember when you were a kid, and maybe, maybe you do this at your house with kid, your kids and with chores and whatever you got to do to like motivate them. You tried everything. And, and remember in, in like school or church, you have like the star charts. And remember those little stars? And, and man, you like... If you did your homework or you did this, you got a little star. And I mean, your goal, man, you wanted to fill the star chart up. Paul's star chart was all filled up. His chart, they had to add like charts for him because he did everything right in the sight of people. He was extremely religious. He did all the right things. He kept all the right rules. In fact, the rules weren't good enough for him, so he added rules on top of those rules. And so this dude, man, he, from an outsider's perspective, he was, man, he had it all together. And, and, and part of what he did and was so passionate about was he hated people that followed Jesus. Because this new movement of Jesus followers, he thought, was going against the, the, the Jewish religion that he had grown up with. And so part of his tenacity and passion was to stamp out these Christians, these Jesus followers. And, and honestly, he didn't care how he did it. If it meant executing, he'd execute. He'd be a part of killing them. If it meant putting them in prison, he didn't care. He actually felt good about it because he thought he was helping kind of rid these people 
from the pure religion he had grown up with, all the rules that he had kept. And so that, that's kind of who he was. But then on his way to get rid of more Christians, he was on the road to Damascus to get rid and kind of take out more Christians. Jesus stopped him in his tracks. And on his way to get rid of Christians, Jesus stopped him and transformed his life. His name changed from Saul to Paul. This guy that, that used to kill Christians was now literally going all around the world sharing the message of Jesus, starting churches all over the known world, and, and wrote much of the New Testament. And on what was called his second missionary journey, I think we actually have a map of it, on his second missionary journey, after he had begun to follow Jesus, he had begun to tell people about Jesus, and he had begun to plant churches all throughout this area. On his second missionary journey, in about 51 AD, he, was, he started over here, kind of in this area, and his goal was he was going to go to all these different cities that he started churches in and he was going to deliver to them some information from Jerusalem and he was going to encourage them and kind of strengthen them and, and try to help their young churches. And man, so that's what his goal was. And so he did. He, he kind of went all through here. He had a team of about three or four people with him and, and they went all throughout this area encouraging the churches that he had started. In fact, Acts 16, it says this, verse 4, it says, As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And so Paul, man, he's going through these churches, he's visiting them, he's encouraging them. They're, I don't know, they didn't have Starbucks, but whatever. He was meeting with the, the deacon boards and all the pastors and the people that went, man, they were having coffee together, and, and he was encouraging them, and everything was going good. In fact, the, the scripture says that, man, that, that he was strengthening them, and they were increasing in numbers daily. And so, man, the spreadsheet was up and to the right. Everything was looking good. It was being successful. But then something happened. See, go back to that map. If you go back to the map, you see, you see, man, Paul, he's just tracking through these little cities. He's encouraging them. Man, people are coming to know Jesus. Numbers are growing. From the outward appearance, man, life is looking good. Paul, like, killing it, man. And then Paul gets right here, and you notice how, like, there's no places he stops to visit. Like, what, what happened, like, from here, Paul, to here? Like, did you, like, forget about all these people in the middle? And here's what happened. Paul had this goal. He wanted to start more churches in Asia, and he wanted to, to he had a plan. And you know what? The Bible says that Jesus stopped him from doing what he wanted to do. Look at the Scriptures. It says in verse 6 of, of Acts 16, it says, And then we went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So the Holy Spirit told Paul, Don't tell anybody about Jesus in Asia. What? Look at this. 
It says, and when they came to Mycenae, they attempted to go in Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And so think about it. Mr. Paul, the like superstar church starter, like reaching the whole world for Jesus, has a plan to go forward. It's a really good plan. And Jesus stops him. Like, don't tell those people about me. I don't want you to start any more churches in Asia. Stop. Like, what do you mean? Why can't we? I mean, it's not like we're trying to kill people or steal from them. We want to tell them about you and start churches that are all about you. No, don't do that. Okay. And so you see this plan that Paul had that, man, up to this point, everything was tracking And now he starts to come up against roadblocks. I mean, have you ever experienced that? Where you're like, God, I'm trying to do a good thing. Like, I'm trying to fill my, I'm trying to save money, God. I'm trying to put away money. But every time I put away money, something happens. It's like you don't want me to do it. Or I'm trying to, and you fill in the blank, and it's not like you're trying to kill somebody. You're trying to do something good that from your perspective looks like a really worthy cause. And it's like you're hitting roadblocks. It's like, man, you you understand what like the hamster on the wheel feels like because you're like running hard. But you look around, it's like, I'm not going anywhere. What's going on? And, and, And I think Paul, as he was was in the midst of, man, moving forward, but yet the, the Holy Spirit stopped him. I wrote this in my notes. God's plan is bigger than my personal comfort and progress. So if Paul was all about like his own plan, his own progress, this would have rocked his world. But, but I think Paul understood that, you know what? There's a much bigger plan than my little world. Even though I'm trying to do some really good things in my little world, God's got a much bigger perspective. And, and so I think Paul understood that, man, God's plan is much bigger than, than what kind of makes me comfortable and happy and me kind of getting my stars on the charts. Like maybe God's plan isn't for me to fill out every block with a star. Maybe that's not the plan. See, I wrote this in my notes. Jesus didn't die so my star chart could be filled. His vision was much larger and eternally significant. And so put yourself in Paul's shoes as he literally is waiting. I mean, he's waiting. He's not at home. He's in the middle of the world, literally like, you're not letting me do what I'm supposed to do, God. So what's the plan? Look with me at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 9, it says this. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So is Paul sitting there in Asia, like wondering, why God, why can't we get something started in this area? All of a sudden, while he's asleep, he has this vision of a man from Europe, from the area of Philippi, saying, come over, come over to us. We need this. We need what you offer. Come to us. It wasn't on Paul's radar at all. 
But after Paul had this vision, he had a decision to make. Will I follow God's leading or will I keep kicking the tires and try to justify my own plan? And Paul, it says in in the scriptures, in Acts chapter 16, verse 10, it says that he immediately, look at the scriptures. And when Paul had seen the vision, after a week of having meetings, he decided No, no, no. After Paul had had the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, Paul, he had gotten over himself a few years back, and so his plan wasn't important to him. He he was waiting on God, and when he heard from God, it says he immediately sought to go to Macedonia. And so basically what they did is they, they went towards Macedonia, they, they got on a boat, and they, they ended up in this Roman colony in Macedonia called Philippi that he had not planned to be in. It wasn't in the five-year plan. It wasn't in the, hey, on the second missionary journey, we want to make sure to stop in Philippi. That wasn't what he was planning on doing, but God directed him there, and so immediately he found himself in Philippi. Has that ever happened to you? Has has it ever happened to you where you've, you've literally looked up and said, how did I get here? And that's a good thing. Maybe you've been in a couple bad places and you'd be like, oh, how did I get here? But, but when you looked up and thought, how did I? I some, honestly, sometimes I do that here. I grew up in Florida. We were at a church in Florida uh, that we loved. We were at a church that, man, where we were working with our best friends. We, we had a house that we thought one day we'd bring our grandkids home to. I mean, it, we were settling in. And then God placed it on our hearts to move our family to where my wife grew up. And, and there's literally times I'm driving around here like, what? Like, we're in Yuba City and we have a church. Man, this is cool. But, but it wasn't something that was, it wasn't on the, in fact, I told God, as, as there, was, I, there were things that, you know, I would do for God. But the, one of the ones I wouldn't do is like, not church planning. I'm 40-some years old. You don't do that when you're as old as me. You start younger. And maybe you've had experiences like that where, man, you, you look up and, and you had your five-year plan and you, man, you were moving and progressing and moving forward and God put a roadblock and you find yourself somewhere and you're like, how did I get here and what am I supposed to do now that I'm here? Because I didn't have a plan for this. And that's where Paul found himself. And, and he didn't have a plan. It wasn't part of the strategic kind of goals. And so what do you do? What is the best way forward? And here's what Paul did. Love God. Love people. Love God. Love people. Hey, we're in Philippi. We weren't planning on being here. We don't know anybody in this city. So what should we do? Silas? Luke? What, like what should we do? Love God, let's love people. Let's just let's focus on those two things and see what happens. And, and so watch what happens. Acts 16, verse 13, says on the Sabbath day, it's, it's church day. We went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One 
who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. She was a businesswoman, probably very wealthy, who was a worshiper of God. She was a very religious lady. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. And so, so Paul is, man, it's, it's their Sabbath. Usually he would go to a synagogue, but he's in a place they don't have a synagogue. There's not a lot of Jewish people. He would usually go there and he, he'd talk to people or he'd teach. There wasn't one. And so he, he kind of found out maybe through word of mouth, hey, where is there like a religious place? Do people pray somewhere? And so, man, it was a Sabbath. And so he went and, and he just began to do what he always did. He began to talk about Jesus. He began to talk about how his life had been changed. He would tell his story everywhere he went. And this lady, Lydia, amongst other ladies that were there, other people just kind of listened up and And it says that this lady was probably a pretty religious lady, but she didn't know about Jesus. And so as Paul's talking, it says this, and I love this idea, the Lord opened up her heart. And Paul began to share with her about Jesus and about the gospel and how he died and rose from the grave and and how Paul's life had been changed. And it is this this wealthy businesswoman who was very probably successful, even religious. God opened her heart and she became a follower of Jesus. And many of her family became followers of Jesus. And Paul was able to baptize them right then. And so I love this. I wrote this in my notes. Could it be what looked like a closed door was an invitation to something that would mark all of eternity? Could it be when Paul was in Asia and he was running up against roadblocks that the whole time God had a bigger plan and what he thought was a roadblock was actually an opportunity that would change the eternal destination of a whole family? It's amazing. And then if you continue on, because, man, Paul's just doing what he does. He's just going places, telling people about Jesus. That's what he does. And so he's seen this lady, Lydia. Man, I didn't know who this lady was. And now, man, her whole family's followers. And and she becomes part of this church called Philippi, the church at Philippi. In fact, we we think that it it may may have even been hosted in her house. So, wow, it's interesting how God took a roadblock and actually had a plan. But he's not done. It says this in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Basically, there was a little girl that, that was... There was a demon in her and these people were trying to make money off of her because she could tell the future. And so they were using this little girl and her terrible circumstances as a way to make themselves money. And this little girl... She would follow Paul and Silas and his team around. And it says that she would tell, hey, these people, they are, they're followers of God. They're, and she would, it was kind of in a mocking way. And Paul at one point, I love uh, verse 18, it says this. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul having been greatly annoyed. Like, just tell it, tell it like it is, Paul, how you feeling? I'm annoyed at this girl. 
She keeps following us around, mocking us. She's not really the type of, I mean, we don't want people to like put us with her and what she's about. And we're in a new city. It's just not helping. And so he's, he's greatly annoyed. And, I, and I, so when you're annoyed, I guess you just cast the spirit out of the person. That's what he does. And so he's just at this point, I don't know why he didn't do it on day one. But after a few days and kind of getting really annoyed, he's just like, all right, spirit, get out of her. I'm done. And this spirit leaves this girl. And what's interesting is the men that were making money off of this little girl weren't real happy about it. Like, dude, you just took our source of income. Man, now she, does, she can't tell people the future. What's going on here? And so these guys, man, they're upset and they go to like the, the leaders of the city and they, they start telling lies about Paul and his team. Like, man, these guys are a wreck. They're messing up our city. They're doing all this stuff to the point where the leaders of the city, they, they're, they're pretty spineless themselves. And they're like, hey, just kind of throw them into the crowd and the crowd beats them up. And, and it says that the crowd took these rods and, and beat them up pretty good with them. And then they take Paul and Silas and they throw him in prison. And so again, could it be that what Paul saw as a roadblock, as a closed door, maybe was a little disappointed at? I bet this little girl that doesn't have a demon in her anymore wasn't too disappointed. And, and, and maybe just sometimes when we see things that seem like roadblocks... Maybe there's a bigger picture. Maybe there's something else to the story. Maybe we don't have all the information. Maybe we're not God. And that's what Paul began to find out. And so, so here's Paul. He and Silas, man, they, they had a plan. Things were going good. Now they find themselves in Philippi. Wasn't in the plan. They see Lydia come to Christ. This little girl, man, doesn't have a demon in her anymore. I mean, that's pretty cool what's happened just in a few days. But now they find themselves beaten up and sitting in prison. This definitely wasn't part of the plan on any level in any city. Like getting beat up and thrown in prison isn't what we, what we wanted to happen. Maybe you're like, God, I'm okay with some changes to the plan, and I'm okay with you kind of navigating the, the, the plan a little bit, but this whole idea of getting thrown in prison for something I really didn't do, that's where I kind of draw the line. And so Paul finds himself, he's, he's in a prison, and, and in their prisons back then, they didn't have like cable TV and like workout rooms, and like, these are dungeons, they're dungeons, and, and not only are they in, dun in this dungeon, but it says that the jailer fastened their feet in stocks in this dungeon. And so these stocks, when, when you think of stocks, you think about probably the cool picture you get at Disneyland where you go to Disneyland and you can put your arms and head in the little thing and they can take a picture and like, oh, that's kind of fun. But the way this, these things actually work, when they would put their feet in stocks, you think, oh, that's not terrible, you know, just little straps around your ankles. But what they would do if they didn't like you is they would take those straps and they would like pull them apart and attach you to them. Just according to how mad they were at you, how much they didn't like you, and how uncomfortable they wanted you to be. And so you've, Paul finds himself in prison, bloody back, feet in stocks. I mean, who knows how uncomfortable that was. And so he, he finds himself here. What is Paul, what are they going to do? Look with me at verse 25. 
It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. So, so Paul, you're having church up in a prison? Like you've got a bloody back, your feet are in stocks, you're very uncomfortable you're in prison for something you, you shouldn't be in prison for. Nobody's going to pass judgment on you if you just kind of aren't real happy. But you find Paul and, and Silas sitting in this prison and they're praying and they're singing. And it says this, that all the prisoners were listening to them. And then in verse 26 it says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. God's will is for us to get out of here now, right? All, this earth, God sent this earthquake. All the prison doors open up. These stocks that are on our legs making us uncomfortable, they all fall off. This must be God's will for us to get out of here. Thank you, God, for your deliverance. But look what happens. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So this dude, he wakes up like, of course these people are going to leave. Why wouldn't they leave? And if they leave, I'm toast. And so he's like, I'm just going to go ahead and kill myself. It'll be easier than if I have to go through somebody else killing me. And so he's ready to kill himself. In verse 28, it says this, but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then it, then it says this, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And so Paul, finding himself in prison, bloody, I mean, just rough spot to be in, never was part of the plan, could have easily thrown in the towel and nobody would have counted him, I mean, nobody would have thought that was bad. But instead of doing that, Paul is found worshiping God and instead of leaving when the earthquake happened, Paul and, and, and did the other prisoners just follow Paul's example? Because it says none of them left. And the, the jailer, and I, I just, in my mind's eye, I see this, this jailer, the Bible says, literally comes to Paul and Silas shaking. Like he can't put into what he doesn't even understand this. And he comes to them and he pulls out a light and he just literally comes up to him and says, how can I have what you have? Like, this is crazy what you're doing. How can I be like this? How, do, what, how can I be saved? And Paul just says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And it was that night that the jailer and his family put their trust in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection 
And then by way of, of announcing the decision they had made in their heart, they were baptized after that because that's what baptism is. It's, it's an outward showing of what has already taken place in our heart. And that's what happened that night. And, and as I, I was thinking about this, not only did the jailer think about come to Christ, but man, his kids, his wife, they all, man, they didn't even know who Paul and Silas were till that night. Till daddy brought home this guy with a bloody back and daddy began to tell the story and his sons and daughters and wife and uncles and aunts said, we want the same thing. Could it be that when Paul saw a roadblock to his plan forward that God had the jailer and his, and his family on his mind the whole time? When God said to, to Paul, no, 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 not Asia, not Asia, not Asia, no, 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 not Asia. That in, in God's mind, he was thinking, the jailer, Lydia, the, the little girl, like, you've got to go see them. I have a plan for them. I want to save them for all eternity. See, though Paul did not understand why God was closing doors in his ministry, God had Lydia, a demon-possessed girl, a jailer, and their families on his mind. It is mind-boggling to think that when God closes a door in our lives, that he literally could be thinking of someone else. And while we're upset and like, oh, why did this happen? God's saying, no, 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 no. If you could see the big picture, if you could see what's going to happen in somebody else's eternity, somebody else's life, this roadblock is not a roadblock. It's an opportunity to see someone change forever. And that's what happened to Paul. See, we don't know everything about God's plan, but here's what we do know. We, we, like, I can't tell you, like, okay, five years from now, here's where it's going to go for you, and you can't tell me that. But here's what I can tell you for sure about God's plan for you and you can tell me for me. We know this about God's plan, that he desires a relationship with people. We know that. We know that in God's mind, he says this in his word, he says, I'm not willing that any should perish. Like, I don't want anybody to spend eternity with me in a place called hell. I'm not willing that any should perish. I want all to come to repentance. I want a relationship with everybody. We know that. That's what the scriptures say. We know that about God's plan. He desperately wants a relationship with us. But here's what we also know about God's plan. That Romans 8.29 tells us this, that he wants us to look more like his son. We know that. Like, we don't know where we're going to be in five years, but here's what we do know, that God wants a relationship with people, and God wants people that he has a relationship with to look more like his son. So wherever you are in five years, God's hope for you is that you'll look more like his son, Jesus. We know that. We, we know that for sure. And so the path forward, whether it's in our marriage or our finances, our thinking, or our few, like whatever the path forward is, it, it really comes down to one question. You say, is it really that simple? I think it is. See, the reason that Paul was able to, you look at Paul's life, and you do this a lot in Paul's life, you look at Paul's life and you're like, what? Like, you really did that, Paul? Like, when all that was going bad, 
like this, what we talked about today, was kind of was like the, the Candyland version of his life. There was other parts of his life that were a lot tougher. And he still kept a good attitude and he still kept obeying God and God did amazing things. But, but I think the way forward for you and for Paul and for me comes down to one question. And the one question is simply this, who do you serve? Who do you serve? Who's your master? See, we kid ourselves if we think that we don't serve someone. We, we either serve our flesh and kind of our appetites or we serve God. Like, like it, it's a joke if we say, no, I'm kind of my own man. No, you're not. You serve your flesh or you serve God. And the way forward, whether it's in our marriage, our finances, our relationships, anything else, it comes down to that one question, who do we serve? For Paul, the very first phrase of the letter to the Philippians tells us very clearly who he served. Look at this last verse. Very first, you didn't have to wonder. Like, Paul, why would you do this in, in, in the jail and all this stuff? Very first phrase. Philippians chapter 1, it says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. You know what that word servant means? It means slave. It means someone who happily and loyally is linked to their master and to their master's agenda. And so, Paul, why, why would you sit in prison? Why would you follow God when he was kind of literally putting a roadblock in your path? Why would you have such a good attitude? And why would you be about what God was about? It all came down to who Paul served. Paul says this. He says, I am a bondservant. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. That's why I do what I do. And you think, Paul, like, were, is that like, arm behind your back, kind of twisting your arm, like God was kind of twisting your arm to do that. Paul's like, no, no, you, you obviously don't know my story if, if you think that God had to twist my arm for me to serve him. See, Paul says, man, I, I hated Jesus. I hated his followers. My goal was to get rid of them. I helped kill them. I tried to put them in prison. After I came into a city, kids didn't have dads and wives didn't have husbands. That's what I was about. And, and one day on my way to eliminate more followers of Jesus, Jesus met me. He showed me grace that I didn't deserve and he transformed my life. I don't serve him because I have to. I serve him because it's the greatest thing I can do. I love him. That's why I serve him. I love him. I'm so thankful. And so as we close, and we literally got one phrase into the letter. Who do you serve? See, the answer to that question will affect every area of your life. And really, it comes down to two things. We either serve ourselves or we serve God. And so here's, here's the thing. If we serve ourselves, then our future is based on our abilities, our perspective, our weaknesses, our wisdom, and will lead to the results that we can get on our own. That's what it's going to be about. 
So if that's the, the route we're going forward, if we're serving ourselves, then we, we have to be okay with that's what it's going to look like. So whatever the best wisdom that I have, that's going to be my life. Whatever the best abilities I have, that's going to be what my life's going to produce. But if we serve God, it's going to be based on His wisdom, His power, His perspective, and will lead to results that only He can produce if we choose to serve Him. So who do you serve? Because you can't serve both. There's no like one foot in each. Just go all in to your, for yourself or go all in for God. Just choose. Because the way I look at it is, man, if you're going to go this route, then do it because you only have about 80 years to do it. So get all you can while you're in your 80 years. But if you choose to serve God, it's about much, something much bigger than what you can produce in your feeble abilities and wisdom in a lifetime. And so I'm guessing that there's some people in this room that say, you know what, Chris, I definitely don't have it all together. I, maybe I'm just getting back into church. I don't even know what I totally believe about this whole Jesus thing. Or, man, I've been following Jesus for a while, but, man, if, you're, if I'm honest, I've been trying to do a foot in both. But, man, I'm, I'm ready to let my way forward be about serving God. Then let me leave you with two things. Would you be willing to pray for sensitivity to know His plan and obedience to obey it? Just start that way. What does this look like, like being serving God and making Him my way forward? Well, would you just be willing to say, all right, this week, I don't have it all together. I screw up a lot. Just ask my family. I still struggle with a lot of things. But you know what? I, I want my way forward to be a way forward that is focused on serving God. And so this week, I'm just going to pray and I'm asking God, God, just show me your plan. And then give me the courage to obey it. Whatever that looks like. And then over the next few weeks as we continue to delve into this letter to the church at Philippi, I believe God's going to use several of these messages to help us as a church and as individuals. But it comes down, honestly, it comes down to this question though. Who do you serve? Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for your word and and God, we, if we're honest, Lord, and if I'm honest, I serve myself a lot. And Lord, everything in me sometimes wants to serve myself. But God, I, I know in my mind, and, and I know my friends here do, Lord, we, we know how that ends. We have stories of our own lives, how that ends. We have stories of our friends and loved ones. We, we know what that looks like serving ourselves. We know it doesn't end well. And God, I, I pray that as we delve into this letter that Paul wrote from prison to this church in Philippi, Lord, that you would work in and through our hearts and our lives. And Lord, help us to be people who could say, with all integrity, I choose to serve God. In Jesus' name, amen.